You are hearing the music to 1921's The Kid, starring Charlie Chaplin, which is what I'm going to talk about today as part of my treating the deceased in a way that I really, really hope becomes unacceptable before I die series. This series, you may recall, was inspired by me moving to Hollywood and spending most days walking down the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I had to do it just to get to work. The Hollywood Walk of Fame, of course, is where the entertainment industry has decided to honor people by immortalizing their name in cement in the absolute worst part of Los Angeles, nay, the world. Anyway, because I'm on the Walk of Fame basically every day, I realized that most of these names are names that I have never heard of before. Charlie Chaplin, of course, is not one of those. He is maybe the most, he might be the most famous comedian of all time. And yet, how many of us have actually watched a Charlie Chaplin movie all the way through? I hadn't, not until a couple days ago, but I did it now because what I'm trying to do with this series is to try to find the connections between stuff we enjoy now and stuff people enjoyed 100 years ago. So I watched 1921's The Kid. It was his first feature-length film. He had done a lot of shorts before, so he was known for those. This was his first feature-length film. It was well-received, obviously. There never would have been a second movie if the first one hadn't been a hit. That's how it works. And let me tell you what I will not do. I will not pretend to like Charlie Chaplin just so you think I'm cool. This is a thing comedians do. We'll go, oh, you know who my favorite comic is? Lenny Bruce. Fuck you. Tell me one fucking Lenny Bruce joke. 90% of the people who claim that Lenny Bruce is their favorite comedian don't actually know fuck all about who he was as a comic. They know that he's dangerous and cool, but his actual work, like, I'm not afraid to say to you I have watched Lenny Bruce's stand-up. It's for somebody, it's not really for me. George Carlin is another one. I, George Carlin never really buttered my toast. And I know that I'm really supposed to like George Carlin. I don't, like, dislike him. I don't think he sucks, but it was never really for me. These are not cool things to say. My point is, I don't like sacred cows. I don't like sacred cows. Sacred cows seem like a form of dishonesty to me. It's like you have to like this person because they were important and big. So I'm not going to do that, but I'll tell you, I watched 1921's The Kid, and you know what? Pretty good. Kind of good. I kind of liked it. I didn't, look, I didn't laugh out loud. You're not going to laugh out loud at something from a hundred years ago unless you have a brain tumor. But I did watch it and think, that's well done. There were a lot of jokes that made me think, solid bit. That's a real solid bit. The premise of the movie is that Charlie Chaplin, who is, of course, like a down-on-his-luck tramp, finds an orphaned baby, which is like a prank people pulled back then. People were always leaving babies on doorsteps and in empty cars. I think it was kind of like getting rickrolled, you know? You're just kind of going about your day, and then out of nowhere, oh, baby, like, you got babied. The 1920s Ashton Kutcher would jump out of nowhere, you got babied. So Charlie Chaplin gets babied hard at the beginning of this movie. And then the movie is just escapades of him with this little kid. There were a lot of heel turn jokes. A heel turn is when a character is doing something, usually something they should not be doing. They're doing that thing, somebody notices, and then, whoop, we see them instantly change their behavior. As far as I know, Charlie Chaplin may have invented this joke because his version is usually he's doing a thing, he's always doing something mildly illegal, but in a playful way, and then a police officer shows up and then, whoop, change in behavior. Heel turn joke. Another joke he does a lot, and I don't know how widely used this term is, but I call them accept blank jokes. This is a joke where we see the character engaged in a very normal behavior, except for the unusual thing about that character. So it's a normal behavior in their world. So for example, Bojack Horseman is full of except blank jokes because all the characters, they act like people except that they are actually animals. 
So, for example, the character Princess Carolyn, who, if you haven't seen the show, she is a human acting cat. Okay, she's she is a feline, she is a cat, but she acts like a human. She gets kicked out of a car, but she lands on her feet because she's a cat. Another time she's given a gift. What's the gift? It is a crinkled up piece of paper because she's a cat. Getting a gift is a normal thing, except she's a cat. The Toy Story movies are also full of except blank jokes, except they're toys. And Charlie Chaplin's also doing a lot of except blank jokes. At one point, he takes out a cigarette case. He's going to have a cigarette, except he's a tramp. He has no money. So the cigarette case is just full of already smoked butts. I saw that, I thought, solid bit. His famous eating a shoe bit, which is in a different movie, but that is a classic except blank joke. Cooking a meal, the most normal thing in the world, except he has no money, so the meal is a shoe. And then the last type of joke that I'll point to is the classic screwball mix-up. This kind of joke has fallen out of favor. I'm not actually totally sure why, but oh my god, it had its day. In the 50s and 60s especially, screwball mix-up was huge. This is where a character doesn't know something that the audience does. So you know the bit they always did on Three's Company where Mr. Furley, or Mr. Roper, but I'm a Furley man, I think Roper's trash. <laughs> Mr. He's fine, I just love Don Knotts. Where Mr. Furley is listening through the door and what the characters are saying really sounds like sex. But we, the audience, know they're not having sex, partly because it's like 8 o'clock on ABC in 1981. But also, we just saw them feeding a puppy, so we know they're feeding a puppy, but Mr. Furley thinks they are banging in the kitchen. That is a classic screwball mix-up. Benny Hill did a lot of screwball mix-ups. All the Freaky Friday and that type of movies, those are screwball mix-ups. Like I said, we see it less now, but but in these Charlie Chaplin movies, we, the audience, always know he is in danger before he does. And I gotta say, they're like well done. They're like well executed. He clearly thought these things out, choreographed them, put the camera in the right place. So the trap snaps shut at the right speed, the joke hits. The trap snaps shut, the joke hits, at the right speed, which I think is one of the most underrated things in comedy. So my review, Charlie Chaplin, <laughs> good at comedy. <laughs> I'm sure he would be touched to know that I, a comedian who has had, oh, one, one billionth of the success he's had, thinks he was pretty good. And you can and should seek out Charlie Chaplin's star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame at 7062 Sunset Boulevard, right in between the X-rated Froyo shop and the Popeyes with the sign in the window that says, full release with any combo meal. Hello, I'm Jeff Maurer, the Ashton Kutcher of the 1920s, and this is the I Might Be Wrong podcast, the suitable for driving version of the stuff you can find at imightberwrong.substack.com. It's a bit of a shorter episode this week. I'm sorry for that, but the reason is I have moved back from Hollywood. I am back in D.C. My period of Barton thinking it in a hotel room in L.A. is over for now. I'm still writing for the TV show. I'm still writing for American Auto on NBC Tuesdays after... God, I don't even know. After Wings? Is Wings still on? I think it is. I think we're on between Wings and Veronica's Closet. Tuesdays, starting in January. So still writing for the show, but we have gone completely remote because of COVID. Yeah, I I know it's kind of hard to believe at this late date. Everyone's vaxxed. I'm vaxxed. I'm boosted. But we're going remote because of COVID. I don't want to question it because it's working in my favor. I would rather live in D.C. where I have, you know, a wife and a cat and my Xbox and, you know, all the good stuff. But I had to get back here this week. 
And then I had a whole bunch of work I had to do, and the upshot is it's a little on the short side this week. But let's get to it. Today's episode is called Enough with the Lore. Thank you. I wanted to write this one because this has been a pet peeve of mine for a while. The extent to which fantasy stuff will just throw a bunch of lore at you at the beginning. So much that I'm like, what? What happened? Who attacked who in the mystical realm and lost what? Was it a gem? Was it a ring? What the hell? Why have I been given this pop quiz at the beginning of the movie I'm trying to watch? I find it annoying and stupid, and I wanted to address it eventually, and I figured <laughs> this week, since I don't have the time to, you know, read a Supreme Court case or something like that, this is a good week to do it. So, it's called Enough with the Lore, Thank You, subheading, Stories Shouldn't Feel Like Homework Assignments. Now, all of this, of course, is just one man's opinion, and worse yet, I am that man. <laughs> if there is one thing I have learned from a lifetime of consuming and producing entertainment, it is that my opinions are not widely shared. When it comes to what's good and what's bad, I am a lonely idiot atop a mountain, whispering opinions into an icy wind that will carry my thoughts quickly to oblivion. And still, I feel compelled to share this thought. Lore the explanatory preamble that begins most fantasy tales is a big hot bag of nothing, in my opinion. It gets in the way of good stories, and I think it should be minimized, if not eliminated. We can have tales of elves and dragons and all of that fruity mystical crap that people, including me, love so much, but I do think it would be better if we had it without all the goddamn lore. The proximate cause of this tirade is that I recently watched, oh god, what do you call it, uh, Elves of the Rings, Power of the Lord of the Hobbits, or what, I don't fucking know, I could look, it'd be so easy to look it up, I will not look it up, the new Lord of the Rings thing on Amazon, I watched that, and the show begins by burying the viewer <laughs> under a big steaming pile of lore, before we even see Hobbit 1. We are told about Morgoth and the Legion of Elves and the Exodus from Valinor and the Orc Diaspora. You heard me! Orc Diaspora and Sauron and a million other things. It felt like a fucking assignment. It felt like I should be taking notes for a test that the TV show was going to give me later on. I honestly find it taxing to feel expected to remember things that were thrown at me very quickly in a still-too-long montage. I assume that knowing these things is critical to the story. That's why I feel pressure to know them. And if that's not the case, if I don't need to know these things, then why is some elf bending my normal-sized ear with this crap to begin with? This, I think, is often a problem in fantasy stuff. And let me reiterate, I like fantasy stuff, but it happens all the time. Before we even get a glimpse of our hero, we are told of battles fought long ago by people we have never heard of. These people typically have weird-ass science fiction names like Alamemnon or Zikhirixix. And they often inhabit a world that sounds like an anti-herpes drug. Azeroth, for example. Ask your doctor about Azeroth. In this lore, there is often 
some physical object that was fought over, it is usually a ring, or a sword, or a gem, or an amulet, or a Sandy Koufax rookie card, or something like that. A lot of times, somebody gets cursed, and then the curse has its own whole fucking set of rules. For example, the curse will only be lifted when the Chosen One licks the magic doorknob on Wookiee Christmas, blah, 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 blah. It is a bunch of shit that you have to remember because it motivates everything that happens. When you find yourself wondering, wait, why are they entering the cave of certain disembowelment? You have to recall that, oh yes, it is so they can retrieve the cock ring of wisdom from the zombie co-op board before the time parallax closes and Princess Golden Vag is stuck in the body of a Philadelphia Eagles fan forever. <sighs> or something of that sort. Now, I have noticed that a lot of successful movies, I mean very successful movies, and also TV shows and video games, contain a lot of lore. I humbly suggest that these things are succeeding in spite of the lore and not because of it. Star Wars, I think, is a great example. Star Wars begins with a paragraph, a paragraph of lore that they demand that you read before anything happens. What intergalactic balls. It's a fucking movie that starts with here, read this paragraph. As if the entire fucking medium of movies isn't just an end run around reading. That's what it is. Now, the good news is, the reading comprehension pop quiz that starts Star Wars ultimately proves unimportant, and the movie progresses to good guys versus bad guys fun real quickly. But in the prequels, all of a sudden, the lore does matter. In The Phantom Menace, you have to understand the rules of interstellar NAFTA to know why Ewan McGregor and his weird rat tail are tracking down some fucking kid in the sandy butthole of the universe. And it is at that point that the story really starts to lose momentum. I would also point out that a lot of highly unsuccessful projects have been dragged down by excessive lore. Now, I doubt many of you have seen Dragon Wars. You kind of have to be a bad movie aficionado to have seen Dragon Wars. This is a South Korean film that just about bankrupted the South Korean film industry. But Dragon Wars, which I have seen, died a truly epic box office death, probably in large part due to unfathomable amounts of boring-ass lore. Another example, John Carter, one of the most notorious bombs of all time. Disney's 2012 John Carter is, by the way, not nearly as bad as its reputation suggests, but it did have a gigantic problem with too much lore. In John Carter, the lore mongering, it's, I gotta say, it's egregious. The movie begins by informing us that there is actually life on Mars. News to me, there's life on Mars, and that there is also, by the way, a long-running conflict on Mars between the Bleef Blorps and the Gleef Glorps, or whoever the fuck. It doesn't matter. The movie <laughs> does not inform us why we should give a rat's ass about any of this. I personally find it incredibly presumptuous to assume that I am going to care about creatures that I did not know existed five minutes ago. And it's even more presumptuous to expect me to develop a rooting interest in this war that is fought between, you know, Jimmy McNulty from The Wire and these dudes who are the Avatar guys, except they're green this time. Don't these writers know that I am a busy fucking dude? 
I have bills to pay. I have to move to and from Hollywood every month and a half. I have laundry to do. I got to get my tires rotated. And the absolute last thing I need is to sweat the outcome of some far-flung Martian conflict. I am honestly more than happy to let the dude from Friday Night Lights fight it out and then just tell me how it went. And one reason why this obsession with lore bothers me so much is that it seems to violate a fundamental tenet of storytelling, and that is show, don't tell. You take any class on screenwriting, you read any book on the topic, listen to any podcast, you are going to hear show, don't tell more times than you can count. It is basic enough that it is a cliche. Show, don't tell. For what it's worth, I find it to be pretty good advice. Show people the thing, don't tell them about the thing. And yet, studios sink hundreds of millions of dollars into scripts that violate that rule about as egregiously as Bostonians flout traffic laws. I see a huge difference between witnessing, seeing fantastical characters navigate a made-up conflict and just being told that the conflict happened. The first thing, when I see it, that is a story that I can project myself into and potentially find relatable. I can get into it. The second thing, when they just fucking tell me what happened, I find that to be a barrier to entry that the storyteller is demanding that I clear before we can start. And I do suspect that lore-heavy projects like The Lord of the Rings and Dune succeed partly because they are based on books that spent, you know, hundreds of thousands of words extrapolating the lore decades before the movie ever got to theaters. For people who have read those books, the lore isn't really lore at all. It is the story. Those people have done the homework before they see the film. So for them, the lore preamble that turns my brain to mush, it's just a recap of a story they already enjoyed. It's last week on Lord of the Rings. This provides an entry point to the movie for anyone who read the books. But when the lore is completely made up from whole cloth, as it was in Dragon Wars, or when it is unknown to basically everybody, as was the case with John Carter. John Carter is based on books that were popular 100 years ago, but they didn't really stick the way that Dune and Lord of the Rings did. When nobody knows the lore, people kind of resent being forced to deal with a whole new set of problems and people that until very recently they didn't even know existed. It is honestly a lot like how people responded to the Yugoslav Wars. Didn't even know that was a place. Now I gotta worry about fucking Bosnia? You heard that a lot in the 90s. At any rate, those are my thoughts on how some of the most successful media properties of all time are doing it wrong. I'm sure the people behind those projects will barely be able to sleep tonight in their gold-plated mansions knowing that the author of a free blog and podcast finds their storytelling turgid. But I stand by my lonely opinion. If an event is important to a story, then I think you should make it part of the story. Don't just tell me what happened in an awkward preamble and then expect me to become invested. If I may express the same thought phrased a million times more crudely, don't just jam it in me, okay? I need a little foreplay first. If you let me experience events in much the way that the Wookiee slash Warlock slash Wizard slash whatever would, 
then I can become invested in your story. But if you begin by rattling off a bunch of details that I need to internalize before we can start, then as far as I'm concerned, your protagonist can go kill the dragon or pawn the ring or finger the princess or whatever the hell they need to do by their damn selves. And that's the episode. It was an all-entertainment episode today. No politics in this one. I hope that's okay. I try to just write about what's interesting to me. And a lot of times, folks, I don't know if it's just I'm getting old or if it's America today or Trump. It's always good to blame Trump for stuff. But honestly, a lot of times, politics, I just need a break. I am at the point of my life now where it's like I can either write 2,000 words breaking down why Ron DeSantis passes laws that are not good laws... Or I could have a Jack and Coke and watch John Carter. Uh, I'm probably going to do the latter. Anyway, as always, I'd like to remind you that you can find everything I do at imightberwrong.substack.com. It is totally free. Please share the articles and podcasts with your friends and house pets. Please rate me on Apple Podcasts. Give me five apples. I would love to have five apples, which I assume is how you rate things, on Apple Podcasts. And I will be back next week from my comfy apartment in D.C. Unless I move again between now and then. And I will have been in D.C. for about nine days at that point. So it'll probably be time to pick up stakes again. I honestly move about as much as an international assassin. Carlos the Jackal stayed put for longer than I typically do. But either way, I will be back next week with another episode. So until then, thank you very much for listening, and bye for now.